0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dialogue Out Loud series. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, Journal of Mormon Thought. Today, we're excited to have with us Colby Townsend, discussing his article in the fall 2022 issue of Dialogue, The Robe of Righteousness, Exilic and Post-Exilic Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. In this fascinating article, Colby revolutionizes the way that scholars should examine the so-called Isaiah problem in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon contains a significant amount of material from the Book of Isaiah, a key text in the Hebrew Bible. However, there are issues with the use of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, as it is widely accepted in biblical scholarship that the section of Isaiah that the Book of Mormon quotes dates to after the time that Lehi and Nephi leave the land of Jerusalem. This essay examines two problems with the use of Isaiah and the Book of Mormon. The first problem is the assumption that none of second and third Isaiah has anything to do with the Book of Mormon. And the second problem is the difficulty of having a block of quotations, including from the first sections of Isaiah chapters 2 to 14, Uh, that are unlikely to have existed in that form in the 6th century Israel. I'm sorry, among 6th century Israelites. There we go. This essay also explores how the use of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon may have been influenced by the King James Version of the Bible and how the book's authors may have accessed and used these texts. Colby, welcome.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So first, can you summarize for us how scholars have approached the question of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon before your research?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, scholars have been writing about this for about 100 years now. Um, and I'm speaking sp- particularly of scholars um, before um, Sidney Sperry um, and one of his students um, after he did his master's degree at and, and then PhD at Chicago. Um, his students. in H. the Grant 1920s, Best. 1920s. Yeah. is when Sid, uh, Sidney Sperry's uh, at Chicago, he writes a pretty short master's thesis, um, trying to engage with, um, Isaiah in the book of Mormon. Um, and, um, it's kind of a lot of cut and paste. There isn't a lot of commentary, um, in, in that thesis, but then, um, about a decade later um, he, he works with H Grant vest um, at BYU he was in the seminaries Institutes um uh in in the 1930s and in that uh, thesis Grant vest actually called it the the problem of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon um So for him, it wasn't quotation marks, it wasn't scare quotes, it was just the problem of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. After um, his thesis was published, which he worked with, of course, um, Sidney Sperry very closely um, on the thesis. Sidney Sperry published an essay, um, I think within the next decade or two, um, uh, I think in the 40s or 50s, I can't remember the original publication date, um, called The Problem of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. Um, So initially, um, Grant Vest, Sidney Sperry, um, uh, one of the Ludlow's, um, uh, they, they basically tried to, to deal with it by saying, yeah, we're directly engaging with um, Isaiah scholarship, you know, contemporary to us. Here's what they say. Um, but we actually think that the Book of Mormon is good evidence that Isaiah um, is older, so they just sort of rested it there. Um, you know, they did some work. Like H. Grant Vest's um, thesis was very thorough. Um, did some work to try to, you know, offer explanations for it actually fitting, um, you know, a pre-600 you know 600 BCE context. Um, but for the most part, you know, just sort of said, like, the, the, their conclusion was the Book of Mormon is evidence that Isaiah is older than what scholars are saying. Um, another aspect of their work was... Um, that um they did not reject that uh, the idea that um Joseph Smith opened up a King James Bible and dictated um the the chapters from the King James and then made changes as he went as he read um that comes later sometime in the 70s um I haven't ever completely teased out um that that issue there um and I'm not exactly sure why um, that that happens in Mormon scholarship on Isaiah and the Book of Mormon. Um, but the, you know, the general conclusion um, from Sidney Sperry, H. Grant Vest, and I didn't mention him yet, but just, you know, B.H. Roberts as well. Um, the general conclusion um, was that, you know, the Book of Mormon is evidence that Isaiah is older, um, that it fits, you know, just fine in, in that context. And um, they kind of moved on and, you know, tried to study um, what the Book of Mormon was doing with isaiah uh, so monty nyman um a handful of others there were there were actually a few masters theses at byu in the 60s and 70s um as well that tried to analyze this through the lens of the dead sea scrolls so you know um where what, what are the variants between the dead sea scrolls manuscripts and you know the uh, masoretic text uh, basically what you have in the king james um and yeah they were they all came to that same conclusion that you know the, the book of mormon is is evidence of a um earlier isaiah so you have that um and then it's really not until the work of david Wright um um that you have like a really thorough a- a examination of the problem and um in a essay that eventually gets published um in the early 2000s he argues that, that um the variance in the book of mormon between the text of the, like the isaiah text of the book of mormon and the king james text um the the variance indicate that whoever is working you know with um, changing the text of isaiah only knows it in english uh, that's pretty much the basic argument and he focuses almost completely on Deutero-Isaiah, um, which is you know 40 through 55 But it's a really thorough examination. David Wright is one of the best scholars of the Hebrew Bible that there is um, still, and um, um, that's a a really good um, uh, essay. Definitely recommend. I recommend all of all all of this literature. I mean, it's all uh, really fun to dig into and um, and explore. Um, But through all of that, pretty much everybody had agreed. There's no third Isaiah. We don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, the, the quotations of 48 through 54, a little bit of 55 um, um, are there, but, but, you know, maybe we can um, just sort of argue that, that, that there's, a, there's a core to Deuteronomy Isaiah that goes back to Isaiah. We don't have to worry about Isaiah 2 through 14. That's in 1st Isaiah, so it's Isaiah, right? Um, so the engagement with biblical scholarship was a little bit superficial in that way and remains so, um, because there is no way to argue, um, from, you know, like if you're really in mainstream biblical scholarship, going to the society of biblical literature, engaging with the variety of scholars and a variety of backgrounds and approaches, um, there really is no way to, to argue that 48 through 54 is some sort of core, um, that goes back to Isaiah, um, and also with, um, uh, two through fourteen, as I show in the essay, it's it's just it it has a far more complicated composition history than is uh, assumed, and so yeah, um, basically try to invite scholars to engage more directly with um, biblical studies because that hasn't happened as much um, in um, Mormon studies.
0: So, so basically as sort of scholars that looked at the book of Isaiah, uh, over the last, uh, well, before, uh, Latter-day Saint scholars started looking at this, they had divided it up into three big chunks, uh, historical right. Isaiah or first Isaiah, uh, comprising mm-hmm. of chapters one to 39, second Isaiah of chapters 40 to 54, 55, and third Isaiah from 55, 56 to 65, right? Um, and uh, one of the big questions was, well, what do we do with the fact that there are some sections from the later or second and third Isaiahs uh, potentially in the Book of Mormon? And you're saying nobody ever thought there was any third Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, but some people were defending that second Isaiah was perhaps authentically first Isaiah based on the fact that it was in the Book of Mormon. At least that's how some Latter-day Saint scholars were approaching the issue. Is that a fair summary?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think particularly that end part um, is the work of Kent Jackson um, from the 80s up until his most recent work, um, I think, is was uh, an essay in uh, Laura Harris Hale's book, um, uh, Reason for Faith, I think it's what it's called, or something like that. But he had an essay in there that um, he kind of put together based on two essays he had written in the 1980s. And that's his basic argument that, um, there is no third Isaiah. Um, you just have to kind of like the only problem is, you know, 48 through 54 and maybe a way through that is to just argue that, you know, the, this is a core to Deutero-Isaiah and it goes back to Isaiah. Um, but yeah, he, he also has like an interesting, and this is one of the key indicators to me that, you know, a lot of scholars within Mormon studies that are working in this, because Kent Jackson's really kind of been one of the a major scholar in the last 30, 40 years, um, you know, uh, engaging with Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, he says in passing, and I engage with this in the essay, that, um, you know, if you go with all the reasons why scholars are dividing up, you know, 1 through 39 from 40 through 66 based on style, based on historical references, based on all that kind of stuff, you know, you could do the same thing with 1 through 39. And I remember when I first read that in 2016, it was like, that that's exactly what biblical scholars do. <laughs> like that, that is what they do. Are you not reading them? <laughs> so that was so the first thing.
0: Yeah. So this gets exactly to sort of the big innovation that, that you make. So what is the big sort of contribution that, that you're putting forward in this article?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm leaning heavily on um, the work of H.G.M. Uh, Williamson and um, his student—they uh, were both at Oxford. Um, uh, Stromberg, Jacob Stromberg, um, Jacob Stromberg did his PhD at Oxford with Williamson in the 1990s. Um, Williamson had this—just it's one of my favorite books. Um, it's called the, the book called Isaiah, and the the whole argument of that book is trying to figure out: okay, here's the whole breadth of Isaiah scholarship. Where where are the places that we all agree? really like actually agree about um, the composition history of different verses and different parts of the text of Isaiah. And how can I explain um, the final form of 1 through 39 through looking at how the author of 40 through 55 might have influenced or rewritten parts or revised um, that that part of the text? And um, so he does this. It's, it's just a fantastic book. He shows how Deutero-Isaiah um, whoever that was, um, rewrote and also wrote um, some full chapters um, in in 1 through 39. Um, and um, then Jacob Stromberg in the um, first decade of the 2000s f- completes his PhD, and then it gets published in 2011 um, by Oxford University Press. Um, and I think it's called um, Isaiah After Exile. And um, in there, he does basically that same thing. he asks if we look at third isaiah how did the author of of third isaiah influence both deutero isaiah and first isaiah um everyone has always agreed that the first chapter was written probably at the near the end of the composition history um, of the book of isaiah Um, it has a lot of connections um, lexically thematically everything with chapter 66 Uh, it works as an introduction to the entire book um, two, at the beginning of chapter two, has its own introduction um, to, the, to the book. There are a couple of different introductions in the first part, uh, in the first few chapters of Isaiah. Um, so basically where I come in is saying, hey, these two scholars are really, really important. Their work is incredible. Um, their methodology, I think, is really fantastic because instead of just sort of carving out their own area and saying, well, this is my, totally my idea over here against everybody else, they say, where do we all actually agree, and how might how might we use that to actually move forward to really understand the composition history of this book? And um, I think they've been really successful in that way. Uh, so yeah, I, I I show that not only is third Isaiah um, a part of rewriting, um, you know, um, some of the chapters that are in. Um the book of mormon forty eight through fifty four. Third Isaiah actually wrote some verses um, there. Um but Deutero Isaiah and Third Isaiah also um, wrote parts of two through fourteen. And that just hadn't been brought into the conversation at all yet. Um, so, yeah, it's really just, you know, an invitation to to, you know, anyone working on the Bible and the Book of Mormon to say, Let's really fully actually engage with, you know, mainstream biblical scholarship and bring that um, into this conversation um, and, you know, make sure that everything's being thorough and exhaustive and that, you know, that'll help to understand the text better.
0: So even if there was an actual historical Isaiah that uh, that is attributed to those in those early chapters, Mm -hmm. those chapters were revised again and again by later authors, including second and third Isaiah who are uh uh, revising them and so the version that we get in the book of mormon um none of it really comes from before the exile all of it is after the exile or after joseph and i'm sorry uh uh, lehi (laughs) lehi lehi and nehi Nephi, nehi i'm getting them all wrong now uh after they leave jerusalem so so everything in isaiah that we have is basically a post-exilic product um and uh and so we face that so so is is that is that what you're saying
1: yeah in the shape and the form that it's in yes yeah Um, i could see someone pushing back on that and saying no there are parts of 2 through 14 that go back to isaiah and that's true um but no in the form that it is in a full block quotation of 2 through 14 and presented as a full complete scriptural text um that isn't that like you know that that wouldn't have been possible, um, and yeah, forty-eight through fifty-four, of course, is later. Um, and I, I do examine a handful, um, maybe about a half dozen or or a little more um, of cases where language from third Isaiah gets alluded to, gets just sort of referenced in passing. Um, and so, you know, outside of the actual block quotations that have Third Isaiah, um, outside of that, there are verses that indicate that, you know, Third like concepts and language from Third Isaiah are being integrated into passages in the Book of Mormon.
0: So a lot of the research that went into this was close, detailed analysis of quotations, sometimes allusions and sometimes things that people hadn't even recognized were quotations or allusions beforehand. Tell us a little bit about the process of the research, the close textual research that went into this uh, article and uh and sort of how you how you went about doing it.
1: Yeah, um th- it's a it's a decades long <laughs> process. I I started during my undergrad um I I was kind of surprised, you know, engaging um, with the, you know biblical scholarship um, to sort of shift over during my undergrad in the religious studies program at the University of Utah to find that there weren't really very many resources for this kind of thing. So I started going um, initially. This was 2013. I started going through the Book of Mormon just just phrase by phrase, um, and you know annotating everything. Um, that's obviously a really long process you have to sit with each phrase you have to kind of tweak them too and see okay does this actually make sense you know um, and then eventually I think by the end of 2013 or early 2014 I found out that the Maxwell Institute had a really great um, tool some software uh, called wordcruncher and it was made for doing exactly this um so I worked with um, the um, guys that sort of run and take care of, uh, word cruncher and update it. Um, and they kind of taught me how to use that. Um, so they, they actually invited me to write, uh, an article that's still up, I think, um, at the Maxwell Institute's um, website that goes through how to run what's called a phrase compare report. Um, so it's my approach to this, my methodology, um, Uh, it's, it's complicated. Um, I'm, I'm dependent um, on literary scholarship and um, how, particularly how biblical scholars have utilized um, that literary scholarship to understand um, the intertextual connections um, between, you know, different books. Um, And so a, a big part of my process is going through and running those phrase compare reports, you basically get stacks of paper. You have to go through and sort of manually delete um, duplicates. Uh, but then once you have that all kind of cut down, you have lots and lots of phrases. So the basis for this study, um, I finished, I think, somewhere around 2016. And I had this huge stack, basically a manuscript um, of all of the different phrases that I'd cut down and cut down and cut down and compared and labeled and said, oh, okay, this is a you know formal quotation or an informal quotation, or maybe it's an illusion or an echo or a parallel. Those are the main phrases that um, scholars like me, like Nick Frederick, um, like Richard Hayes, like you know um, others um, use in this kind of study. And it was that moment, um, I think that was around 2016, um, maybe early 2017, um, I went through the whole list and I was like, oh, there's there's definitely third Isaiah in here what's everybody talking about <laughs> um so i sort of took all of that and then um started implementing um that into a larger uh, at some point i would like to get published a reference edition of the 1830 um, book of mormon that actually has all of these annotations so that everybody can just have you know access to to that um and um Yeah, I've just slowly kind of picked that apart. But then on the side as well, um, (laughs) I have a critical edition of all of the biblical quotations uh, in the Book of Mormon that I've been working on since 2013 as well um, that will be published um, as a supplement online on the the journal's website. Um, But I'm just currently finishing the, you know, doing the final touches on that and that was really kind of the major basis for this study. Um, was going through and doing that. The huge benefit of that critical edition is that um, not only is it a critical edition, so I have you know the eighteen thirty text that I've made slight changes to, dependent on um, uh, some some of Skousen's work. Skousen's work, uh, Royal Skousen's work, is really important for understanding um, what Joseph Smith might have actually dictated um, to the scribes. So, based on that, I don't always follow him. There are uh, many places where I disagree with him. Um, uh, And then the critical apparatus itself um, notates where the the 1830 text, the critical text, varies from the King James Version, but then also um, on those variants, what the original manuscript says, if it exists, uh, the printer's manuscript, the 1830, and Skousen's earliest um, text um, says. So once that's all published, that'll be you know, available for others to do this kind of work. But I think one of the major contributions too, is that I've gone through and letter by letter highlighted in gray, where it's the exact same as the King James version text. And that makes it possible for anyone else to just focus on the white text um, or the white areas of the text. And that's the variant that's, that's, where you know the text of the book of mormon differs so that's really a big part and i have other i've, I've published other uh, sorry i've submitted other essays for publication on that so this is there's a it's a bigger project than just this one <laughs> this essay
0: colby that is painstaking work detailed work uh many many hours years even as you mentioned uh, of this kind and so we're very fortunate to see the payoffs of all of this how do you think this article contributes to broader Book of Mormon studies more generally?
1: Yeah, um, I, I would like to I would like to think that it would contribute methodologically. That it would actually invite um, others to to not only directly engage with um, biblical scholarship, which I think is a huge. I mean, I, I love Ken Jackson's work, but I really was kind of disappointed to see that little, you know, passing comment of. Um, like, yeah, you know, it, it, scholars do, (laughs) do what you're implying, you know? Um, and so like those kinds of things, paying more attention to outside, um, you know, scholarship on, and how that, you know, what that has to say about the book of Mormon. Um, but then also, yeah, the, um, the kind of detailed, um, close reading and, you know, looking at, how the book of mormon takes up the king james version i think is really important because even right now um there are some publications that will be coming out soon that basically say like that it we don't have to pay attention to anything outside of the actual formal quotations because that doesn't matter we don't we don't know if it's you know illusions or anything else like we, we don't have anything we we can't say that and um my response to that basically is yeah we can <laughs> um, I mean, look at look at my work, look at Nick Frederick's work, look at so many um, others who have done this kind of work. But there's also, it limits um, people, because not only in this essay do you find this, but in my previous one on Malachi in the Book of Mormon, um, Nephi formally quotes Malachi without saying his name. And so that, that also has implications um, for, you know, the, the argument that, oh, well, you know, the other stuff isn't formally quoted. So it doesn't matter. and It's like, no, it does. Um, and why is Nephi formally quoting Malachi when the book explicitly knows and says that they don't have Malachi? I think these are really interesting questions. Um, and it all comes down to methodology, I think, like, what what are you going to actually directly engage with? And how is that going to influence your reading?
0: Colby, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge and insights with us. We hope that our listeners have enjoyed this conversation and have learned something new about Isaiah and the Book of Mormon. If you'd like to learn more, we encourage you to check out Colby Townsend's article in the fall 2022 issue of Dialogue, The Robe of Righteousness, Exilic and Post-Exilic Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, and to explore other resources on this topic and more at dialoguejournal.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And don't forget to leave us a review or get in touch with any comments or questions. We hope that you'll tune in for future episodes to our podcast, and we look forward to continuing the conversation on Mormon Studies Scholarship. Until next time.
1: Beyond the Block, part of the Dialogue Podcast Network, is a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that centers the marginalized in Mormonism. Join Brother Jones and Brother Knox, a Black lifelong member and a queer convert theologian, respectively, as they read the scriptures through the lenses of their identities and others in an effort to bring the culture of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints closer and more in line with its theology, which centers Christ's justice and compassion. New episodes every Monday. Dialogue Podcast Network.